Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also listen to it on our Podomatic page, podomatic.com, and just put in Camp Constitution, and you'll get uh, not only our shows, but you'll also get the Sam Blumenfeld uh, uh, recordings of speeches by the late, great Sam Blumenfeld. Now, usually I upload one or two a week, and uh, you've got a lot of other uh, things on there, Gary Allen speeches and so many, uh, some other classics. So um, also, it's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And this camp is coming up in just a few weeks, uh, but we are full. Uh, we really got full last week, and uh, we could only accommodate so many. We got over 140 people attending. A lot of young people, a lot of people under 11, we got like 30, I think, and a lot of first-time families, so we're excited about it. It's just too bad. Uh, some people are kind of will be left out. They, a few people contacted me, had planned to come, but you know they should have signed up earlier. Uh, we do have somewhat of a dilemma now. We may have outgrown this particular facility, which we really love, so we'll have to put it in prayer. And see, uh, you know, if we can find, we love the venue, we want to keep using it. But, um, you know, if we're going to get 150, 160, uh, or maybe even a second session. But anyway, we'll have to put it in God's hands and uh, see what uh, plans he has for us down the road. Uh, but you can visit our website, campconstitution.net, and you can find some great resources. Our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our archives, the Sam Blumenfeld archives especially. And some of the downloads we have of dealing with a number of different issues, uh, definitely worth your uh, your while than going in and looking and checking it out. Well, I wanted to talk discuss a few things on this show today. Um, one of them is uh, this recent uh, recent number of parents have been confronting their school boards around the country. New York, New Jersey, there was this uh, very lovely lady in upstate New York, Carmel, New York, which uh, Todd I'm familiar with, and she really got on their case about critical race theory, and it, the video went viral, and she was interviewed on some uh, Mac, Newsmax and Fox News and other venues, and we see parents popping up and doing these things, and in some cases the school boards will have them arrested uh, in, in Loudoun County, Virginia, they got a little rowdy, and uh, sometimes the school board members walk out, but this is this is the issue and the problem. This the the the, the garbage that's been being taught to our children. It, this critical race theory, the 1619 project, it's rotten stuff. But this is not new. It's just rehashed stuff that they've been pushing and poisoning the children and government schools for many years. And while I admire these parents for standing up at at, at, at you know, it, it, late, hopefully not too late, but definitely late in the day, 
I mean, they teach the children evolution. They teach them anti-Americanism. They teach them, uh, they promote the homosexual, gay, lesbian, be, uh, transgender. I mean, it's just over the top. Black Lives Matter, uh, which, of course, has only, has only been around since about, what, 2015. And why do we expect Marxists to teach our children? Why do Christians and conservatives and conservative Christians and patriots put our children in government schools, mainly run in teachers who are Marxist, and we expect our children to come out of there, good patriots, good, uh, they're being sent to these schools by Christian parents. You know, there are compulsory education laws, unfortunately. And we wonder why they come out, our children come out as atheists, change their genders, hating America, feeling either that they're evil, uh, their parents are evil and racist because we're systemically racist, and all this other crap, uh, crap. I don't know of any Marxists that will put their children in schools run by conservative, Bible-believing Christians or devout Catholics or whatever. You won't see it. And there's a good reason for that. They want their children to have the views that they have. And very few children of the left, the Marxists, ever come out uh, as uh, patriotic Americans. And I've just wrote a little piece on the Facebook page. When was the last time you saw a Kennedy child, a grandchild, a great-grandchild, or Como? Well, Clinton only have one, uh, but I guess they have some grandkids now, don't they? And they're going to probably be Marxists. But when was the last time you saw a leftist family that had members of it defect? I don't know of any, although I, wait, I have to recant. I do know of a conservative Bush. Uh, I think it was the nephew or the son of Jeb who came out recently and, and supported Trump. That's probably one example, but there aren't too many. I know there was a Rockefeller son, a son of Nelson that disappeared over the South Pacific. He may have been another defector, who knows? But there are very few. On the other hand, how many people do you know and maybe your own children, they won't talk to you because you have a Trump sign or you're a Christian or you're a Republican or you believe or you support the right to keep and bear arms or you're pro-life and your children won't talk to you. They won't even acknowledge your existence. What happened to them? You sent them to a government school or a left-wing prep school. You wanted nothing but the best for them. So you, you took them to Disneyland and Disney World you took them to the mall, you gave them a credit card, you, you made sure they had a car when they graduated from high school, you gave all, you made sure that the doctors that you brought them to, you vetted them that they were the best. You had a nice house, nice things, flat screen TVs, all kinds of wonderful uh, things, but you left out the spiritual aspect of it, and you turned your child over to, your children over to Marxists, and you wonder why they hate you. You wonder why they hate the country. You wonder why they're burning down cities and tearing down statues. Because you put them in government schools. My, my late friend Sam Blumenfeld told me back in 1989, I was a young father. He said, never let your children set foot in a government school. In those days, it was a little, uh, it, it wasn't as obvious as it was today. When a lot of parents said, well, my school wasn't so bad. It's not so bad. Why do we settle for not so bad when it comes to educating our children 
But you don't go into a restaurant and say, oh, let's go to a nice place to eat. Oh, this place isn't so bad. Is that the kind of place you want to you know, have a good meal? A place that's not so bad? When you go on vacation, do you go to a motel or a hotel or a campground that's not so bad? No, you go to a nice one if you can afford it. When you go to a baseball game, do you, 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 sit, in, you sit in the box seats. You don't sit in seats that aren't too bad. You're not going to pay $100 to sit in the seat that you can't see the game. And you're telling that you buy the best for them. But when it comes to their education, you gave them the worst. You gave them the stuff that Walmart doesn't sell when it comes to education. And you wonder why the children are, are rebelling. So what I have to say is that if your children are in, children in any government school, especially, I know this is a shortwave radio. I know there are people uh, around the world that might be listening. And they'll say, gee, I don't think it's as bad here. Maybe not. But I would say in the English-speaking nations, they're pushing this stuff. But, you know, it's interesting, though. You look at a country like France. You know, they were, they were an empire. They had slavery. And they're, they're you know, very left-wing. And, but I don't see any too many French people burning the French flag and tearing down statues. I mean, they are. But they still love their country. I mean, Germany. Germany doesn't exactly have a, 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 a spotless track record. You know, they were involved in... Uh, well, we can have World War, World War, their fault. But definitely World War II, they had little to do with. Uh, they were an empire as well. But, you know, you don't see Germans. Uh, they still love their country for some reason. The Russians the same way. The Chinese, Chinese communists. They don't see any Chinese athletes, you know, stepping on the Chinese flag. You know how long they would last? They know how long they would last. They wouldn't last at all. They'd be put in a prison camp. You'd never hear from them again. They'd disappear. But here are athletes, our so-called athletes. No, I, I want who there was some transgender uh, a- athlete, a male transitioning to a woman. Is that I hope I think it was a was it a skateboard or some a new. I hope I can win, uh, win a medal so I can burn the American flag on the stage. Burn the American flag. The country, that, you know, you want to burn the American flag. This is what's happening. This is uh, you know where we're coming, and it can be reversed. You know, some of these people can actually come to their mind, right minds. But it's going to take some work, and I know some are lost. But it, sometimes it does take uh, take some years to. Uh, there's a lot of f- folks who are former leftists. I know some that are some of the best patriots who are hardcore leftists. They had a some soul searching, and it didn't come overnight. So we don't have to give up on our leftist friends and neighbors. But we uh, at the same time we have to be more concerned about those who haven't bought a drink drink the Kool Aid yet and prevent that. And then we won't see the uh, the riots that we have in Seattle and Portland and Boston and New York and all these other places. Um, also, too, uh, this is towards the end of the so-called Pride Month, which is celebrated around the world. And it all started in 1969. It was late June. I don't know if it was about this June 28th or 29th. There was a, uh, a, a homosexual mob-owned bar in lower Manhattan. It was a seedy, filthy place. There were a lot of heterosexual bars that are seedy and filthy, too. Uh, it was actually shut down because they, uh, like the New York City of New York, they, whatever, didn't meet their requirement. They were actually operating illegally. And it was a place where a lot of uh, homosexual sex was going on, and there was some underage male prostitution and all that. Well, the cops were there on, on some police business, and they got assaulted by the, some of the patrons. It lasted two days. And this is what they celebrate. 
This is their pride. Can you imagine if we celebrate July 4th when some of the most honorable men that ever were ever born in this country got together and signed the declaration that, well, they actually didn't sign it. Uh, only Hancock signed it July 4th. But they, uh, this is when the United States became a free, uh, separated from England. That's what we celebrate. They celebrate a mob, a, you know, a riot in the barroom, a sleazy, creepy barroom. And, you know, I was concerned that this would replace the July 4th, the way we're going. But it looks like Juneteenth might replace uh, July 4th. And I might have mentioned this last week. I don't know. But Juneteenth is not when slavery ended. June, it was a June uh, 19th, 1865. It didn't end. You had four Confederate uh, Union slave states that still had slaves. That would be Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri. And slavery, uh, chattel slavery, didn't end in the United States until the ratification of the 13th Amendment. And that was December 6, 1865. So you want to celebrate the date when slavery ended totally. That was that date. And, you know, it was interesting, too. There are some historians that believe the Emancipation Proclamation issued by Lincoln was motivated not so much to free blacks, but to encourage revolts on the plantations. And, you know, many of the men folk were off fighting the war, and uh, the older men and, and women uh, and, and girls were running the plantations. And this Emancipation Proclamation, if the word got out to the slaves, wow, gee, we're going to be free, we can revolt. There were no slave revolts during the Civil War. That was kind of an interesting fact. You would think, boy, that would be funny. There weren't. And in fact, when the Yankees would come as they, uh, as they would occupy various uh, Confederate territory, that's when the blacks were free. And the Emancipation uh, Proclamation only pertained to those slate states that had seceded or were in rebellion, as Lincoln would say. But they had seceded, and as the Union troops occupied more land, uh, those blacks living in those occupied territories that were slaves were now free because of the Emancipation Proclamation. A lot of those slaves, former slaves, were used for labor and forced labor by the Union, but we don't want to hear that. But again, some uh, some historians say that Lincoln's major goal was to encourage insurrection in these in the plantations. And it's interesting because uh, the, uh, the, during the Civil War, that's when we engaged in the practice of total war. General Sherman uh, adhered to that. General Sherman, you know, they'd burn down farms and kill livestock to starve, to starve people and to force surrender. And they did the same thing. The English did it in South Africa during the Boer War, where they actually put women and children in concentration camps. The, at least they, 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 the Union didn't do that. The Union soldiers weren't that bad. But even General Sherman, he said, um, he said what I'm doing was never taught, was discouraged at West Point. So they never, back then they didn't teach people the concept of total war. They do now, World War II, World War I. Um, you know, there was some honor between the enemies. Uh, even in, during the Civil War, they, were, they had truces and during the Christmas truce. And World War I, they had Christmas truces where they would, uh, you know, uh, they would get out of the trenches and exchange gifts and what have you. And, and it's interesting that the average soldier didn't want to kill anybody, and that's just how it is. But when you're, in, you know, you're, you're representing your country and you're in a war, you, you got to kill the enemy. That's uh, that's why you're in war. 
And I want to speak a little, too, about the, this so-called wokeness in the U.S. military. I use the term so, so-called because wokeness is just nothing more about Marxism. It's just a term for Marx, uh, a, a, a nice euphemism for, for Marxism. So it was General Miley, who was the General Joint Chiefs of Staff, was uh, at a hearing, congressional hearing, House of Representatives. And um, one of the state uh, congressmen uh, was talking about wokeness in the U.S. military. And my, oh, no, just because we teach CRT, that doesn't mean, I read the, I read communist literature, that doesn't make me a communist, and he's very indignant. Well, this stuff's been going on a long time, and it's amazing that uh, that the average soldier, there isn't, there isn't rebellion in the ranks more so than there is. It's very rare. Uh, I was in the U.S. Army, but I very proudly served my time in the Army. I was in uh, what we call the Cold War Army right after the Vietnam era. I joined in 76, and I went in in 77, got out in 80. and In fact, it was June of 1980. And then about oh, six months later, I joined the Army Reserves, and I spent not quite, I, maybe four and a half years. I did enlist for an extra six, but I I had a job, then there was a conflict, so I was able to separate a little bit earlier than that. Uh, but I remember uh, I was in a field artillery self-propelled, what do you call it, 8-inch howitzer unit in Augsburg, Germany. We were a frontline unit with nuclear capabilities, and we had something called a mandatory race relation class, 40 hours, eight hours a day for a week. That's all we did. I mean, they, here we are supposed to be training to be able to uh, win a war with the Warsaw Pact nations, but they decided that we should spend a week uh, of uh, race relations. Now, at that time, in the unit I was in, it was predominantly black. I would say the enlisted men, maybe 60-40, and as I was leaving, it was probably more 70-30. The NCOs were probably, I guess at the top of my head, probably 20 five to thirty percent black and the officers not as many black but we did have lieutenants and captains there was even a general in augsburg a black general i can't remember his name offhand uh so you had a lot of blacks high-ranking blacks you had nco and we got along pretty good you know we all had a common we were in the unit together and we were all away from home uh, and then we had this race relations class and I remember it was a black man. Uh, he was an NCO, foul mouth, you know, trying to shock people. Just nasty, you know. It was just very. It wasn't a Christian-based curriculum, to say the least. Some vile things he was talking about. And there was a few. I was a kind of a backslidden Christian. There was a few Christians that were really disgusted. In fact, there was one um, a green a green beret, Vietnam era, a Vietnam veteran, highly decorated. He was just a, he walked out. He was an officer, and he just, I'm not putting up with us, he just walked out. Didn't He didn't say anything, he just walked out. I guess it wasn't his position to say anything, but he just couldn't uh, deal with it. Uh, and in the wake of this, we had racial trouble. I'm thinking, do these people know, the people who gave us this curriculum or this 40-hour instruction, they knew that what they would, what, what happened in the result of this. There's, two, there's three possible results. First off, you're going to get black people who are probably not racist to become racists. You can get white people either feel full of guilt or become racists. So those are the three potential scenarios. Uh, you're going to have all three. 
And they think uh, this critical race theory, people say, well, we're going to expose the whiteness and the systemic racism, and we're going to end it. Well, they're not going to end it because if it's systemic, it can't be ended. So it's racist in its nature. It's saying that all blacks and minorities are victims. That's all they can ever be is victims. And all white people, even the ones who are the most so-called progressive, are still racist. And you have white people, I hate myself because I'm white. That's not going to be healthy. That's not healthy. What do you expect from something like this? Do you expect these soldiers, if they ever have to go to war, to be able to trust each other? It's crazy. Well, of course, they're doing it deliberately. It's not by accident. It's not stupidity. Because they know the results of their actions. You think when they came out with mass mandates, you don't think they knew that there'd be suicides, that people would be fighting, that children would be petrified, that they knew exactly. They'd spend a lot of time analyzing the mind. The communists are masters at this. They're the ones that created this term, well, they didn't create the term brainwashing, but they mastered the technique. You know, the Nazis didn't, didn't really care if they win you over. They either, you know, either support us or would kill you. We weren't trying to put you in a prison camp and get you to denounce your country. They, they just said, hey, you're here. We're going to work you to death or what have you. The communists, when they work you to death, they also want you to hate on the country you're from. And during the Korean War, the Chinese communists would take the American POWs and they would uh, try to turn them. And they had a lot of success but they didn't have any success or very little success with blacks. And uh, this great book called Brainwashing by Edward Hunter, and some believe that Edward Hunter was the one who coined the term brainwashing. And in the book, um, there was a chapter called The Negro as POW. And by the way, the term Negro, you hear that today, you think, oh, that's a racist term. Back in the 50s and 60s and maybe even 70s, it was considered a neutral. It wasn't meant to be offensive. And if you called somebody a Negro, they would... Yes, I am. It's my late friend, Dr. Mildred Jefferson, she said, I prefer to be called a Negro. I don't like the term black. You know, she said, I don't want Jesse Jackson telling white people what they should call me. She said that kind of amusingly. Anyway, um, so there was a chapter dedicated to how the communist Chinese uh, dealt with black American POWs. And they treated them a little differently. They tried, they showed them films of KKK rallies and you know, the uh, Jim Crow and maybe some lynching and all this negative stuff. And they said, we're going to win them over. We're going to make them communist. And only a few defected. And they concluded that the reason why the most black American POWs did not turn against their country is because, one, they had strong religious convictions, and i.e. Christian convictions, and two, they lacked the capacity to hate Hmm, they learned a lot. And then all of these groups got to spring up the Black Panthers, the uh, SN, the SNCC, uh, uh, I can't remember what, Student Non-Violating, Non-Violent Coordinating Committee, and uh, other leftist black groups, Marxist black groups that came up that promoted hatred of white people. And the big foundations are more than happy to accommodate these left-wing organizations and uh, black black and white left-wing organizations, or black, predominantly black, and started by blacks. The Black Panthers, <clears throat> they started right about the late early 60s, I think, in Oakland, California. <clears throat> the black Muslims had been around, 
since the 30s, but didn't really get started until Malcolm X uh, became sort of the spokesman, and it got some got a lot of national notoriety and influence. And of course, they're preaching the same thing the communists preached: separate, a black belt, separate black states, uh, and of course, hatred of whites and, and so on. And they came up with this crazy uh, theology where the black, the white man was uh, aberration created by some evil magician billions of years ago. I mean, it's really crazy stuff. And I don't know how many, but, you know, you get people enraged and hateful of hate. They can believe anything. Uh, the bottom line is the United States and in general English speaking nations are the least racist countries. And yes, we've had a race. We know this. Every country's had this. And I dare say, go to a black, predominantly black country and see how white people are treated. You know, in Haiti, when the Haitians, when, the, you know, the, when there was a revolt, they killed all the whites. They didn't have any reconciliation. In uh, Rhodesia, when the communists took over, they not only killed the whites, but they killed the, a lot of the tribes that uh, were against the communists. In the South Africa, they have, they've been killing whites. I think things are a little better now. I think things are a little bit better in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, uh, but they don't treat whites too well. They they do they're very poorly, and um, and of course, if you're uh, from a different tribe, uh, like you have in uh, Rwanda, they don't like you either. So uh, it's just human nature. We have a sin nature, and as my dear friend Reverend Stevie Kraft says, we don't have systemic racism. We have systemic sin, and racism is just one of those sins uh so uh, and the only way to do it well the only way we're really going to change this folks is well, we need to educate we need to inform we need to push back but we need to get ourselves right with god and we need revival that's that's really what's going to save our land and we do see uh you know, po- po- you know little pockets of that here and there and um you know i like where i am i we have uh, we could say we're so like a mini bible belt not to say everybody around here where i am in the lakes region of new hampshire are christians but there's some really solid churches and um some some really decent people so that's really where the uh where the uh where, where the action is folks it's uh, getting yourself right with the lord and uh, my my dear friend Reverend Kraft and, and his wife Edith just came back from a big event in Florida, ten thousand people, and there was one lady there, and I I'm going to get her book, and I'm going to hope to interview her. Uh, I can't recall her name, but I will know her. Her name, her she had wrote a book. It was called White Privilege, and the white is crossed out, and it's the word choice is put in in, in, in place of that. And she, I'm not sure how old she is. She might be in her 30s, early 40s. But she uh, was from uh, Zimbabwe, and she came here when she was 19. Her parents sent her here uh, with $300 in her pocket. And she, she enrolled in college and didn't even know how she'd pay for it. By the time she was 27, she had her own business, and she had several employees. She didn't have any systemic racism. Racism, uh, she, she had white people that helped her, black people that helped her. She in turn helped other people. And she has a wonderful message. And here she is from Zimbabwe, a country where there's very little opportunities, there's systemic communism. And she came here and she's become very successful. In fact, there are a lot of black Africans that are coming here Nigerians, as an example, as a group, Nigerians make more money than white people. Hmm, wait a minute now. 
I thought we had systemic racism. Oh, and Orientals, you see this thing, stop Asian hate. Asians do very well here. They do extremely well. They make more money than white people do as an average. And they should. If they work hard, they go to college, and they get good jobs, they start businesses, by all means, let them be successful. I, I love to see successful people. I don't care what color you are. Then they look at, well, how did I become successful? Wait a minute. Maybe this country isn't as evil as, as I was taught. Maybe it's a good country. Maybe there are bad people in a good country, and I'm not going to let the bad people stop me from getting, uh, getting ahead. That's right. These so-called, you know, these bad people are just mostly jealous. And I, I lived in a predominantly black community for a number of years, and there were a lot of Haitians. And I know black, black born Americans, generational American, black Americans were jealous. Some of them, I'm not all of them, of course. I, I sound like Joe Biden if I talk like that. They were jealous. But what a Haitian! They came over here. They worked. They bought. They bought homes. They kind of pooled their resources. The family stuck to, stuck together. Maybe the the extended family is not just mom, dad, children, but mom, dad. Uncle, niece, uh, nephews, uh, and they got together and they owned a house. They had, you know, a three-unit house, three-family home, and they did well, and they're doing well. They come out and say, "Yeah, maybe it's a whole lot better than in Haiti." And they become their children become uh, good Americans, who love America. Anyway, I think we're running out of time. Uh, I want to thank you for listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host Hal Shirtliff on the Great WBCQ, the Planet. And until next week, may God richly bless you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.